Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Okay. Wait, they clicked the record, right? Yeah, yeah we've okay. been recording. We've been recording? Okay, so good. You got some, uh, this is good behind the scenes. Behind footage. the scenes, yeah. yeah. Like maybe before the intro, just have random banter. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me in the beautiful, pristine Yahoo Studios in downtown Toronto, it's my good buddy Dom Lustician. Dom, what's going on, man? It's uh, not much going on. It's been a hectic September for me writing all those season previews at the Athletic, but yep. I, I gotta say the studio is nice, but it does not compare to some of the Airbnbs you put me up in. I feel like I've had you in some pretty cool spots. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely been a couple that have been. That, that's one thing. Whenever I travel for work and I do this stuff, I'm always, uh, I'm always prioritizing a nice little, a nice little Airbnb, especially when I'm having uh, such uh, key guests like yourself on the podcast. <laughs> I, I, I can't just have you over at some dingy shack. I gotta yeah. have you in a nice spot so that it, we can at least like carry on the illusion that this is a very <laughs> professionally run podcast. And um, no, this is great. I'm really excited to to be chatting with you. Um, Obviously, you've done a ton of work in sort of previewing and preparing for the season. And it's funny how it works from our perspective when you're in the industry because you do so much work in the weeks leading up to it. Like, it feels like there's like a really down period in the summer where you're kind of just like unwinding a little bit and mm-hmm. decompressing. And then come September, we're like, okay, we got to get ready for this. And you just start like consuming as much information as you can and trying to sort it all out in your head. And it's like you're preparing for a final exam, and then come Wednesday on October second in the after, in the evening when the game started, it, it, there's like a bit of like a cathartic, like okay, now we can just watch these games and then wait at least a couple of weeks before we form any sort of new opinions because you would obviously don't want to react to just one or two games. Yeah, and honestly, even like a few weeks sometimes is not enough either. Like I remember last year, a lot of people were high on the St. Louis Blues, and yep. three months in, they weren't doing so great obviously but once they fired Mike Yo and hired Craig Berube you could see like their underlying numbers start 
going back up to where many expected them yep. to be early on. And like those trends are great to look at. And you still have to like think back to what, what did I think about this team at the start of the year? What has changed and should I believe those changes? Yeah, the tricky thing though is an obvious, I mean, they clearly um, dug themselves out of that early season hole. It helped a lot that they had a goalie just play out of his mind and mm-hmm. none of us could have projected that. And I think that even if Jordan Bennington had come in and been like a league average goalie as opposed to like this like ridiculous 930 plus goalie for a long time, maybe it wouldn't have been enough to ultimately dig them out of that hole. But you know, they clearly had a good team there and a lot of parts for and there's a reason why we all like them in the preseason but the tricky thing is if you dig yourself too big of a hole generally speaking with the three-point games that are divvied out and sort of how these teams approach the regular season games where it's like it feels like late in the game both teams just have this like gentleman agreement where it's like <laughs> let's just not risk anything yeah. let's get this into overtime let's each bank a point and as you get into later and later into the season it really does feel like for some of these teams it's tough to make up any sort of significant ground when so many points are being distributed on a nightly basis it has definitely felt that way in past years every single year like okay we won today but this other team ahead of us got a loser point yeah. so it doesn't really matter but last year was funny when the entire Western Conference just decided they didn't want to make the playoffs. <laughs> I think it was Minnesota and Anaheim in playoff spots, and they just imploded. And yep. Chicago was like last in the league, and they made, went on a run of their own. And Colorado sort of just like stayed in the middle, right. like losing, winning. Like it created an opening for a team like St. Louis to make some noise. And it'll be interesting to see if this year is like last year where there might be an opening to make a run in midseason or if it's like years past where three-point game is a big factor. Well, I'm also curious to see um, the lasting effects of what happened last postseason because everyone remembers that, especially in the round, round one where there were so many upsets, right? Like the Flames get destroyed by the Avalanche, the Lightning gets swept by the Blue Jackets, so on and so forth. And I wonder for a lot of these teams now – whether that might be a bit of an impetus if you're approaching the trade deadline, let's say, and you're kind of a bubble team and maybe you have some impending UFAs and you're wondering, would we be better off just selling off these guys and looking ahead to next year? The fact that so many of these teams like just barely squeaked into the playoffs and then wound up having great success and making extended runs and obviously making a ton of money for their ownership through all of the home game revenue. I wonder if a lot of these teams, if it's going to kind of create this weird trickle-down effect where now teams are going to be less likely to pull the plug on a season if they're still kind of hovering around a playoff spot. I I really hope not, and I feel like this is where a team's internal analytics staff can be very helpful in telling them this is what we are, this is what we would be without these players, this would be with an upgrade, and is it worth it to do these things or maybe make a run next season, especially yep. in a this year there's a stacked draft as well. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we may see something close to what happened in the McDavid year where every team at the bottom was like, all right, we're out. Yeah, Let's just start losing a <laughs> bunch of games. Yeah, I think I, it could certainly be the case. I, I do think sometimes, uh, you know, it's one thing to have people on your staff that will kind of preach that realism but then it's another if your owner is like listen let's let's try and get at least a couple of home games mm-hmm. worth of revenue and make some extra bucks yeah. here and i know there's a lot of owners around the league that do probably run their business that way yeah absolutely and i feel like there will be teams that look at what st louis did last year and be like why not us oh, wow. and we've already started to hear yeah. i think like minnesota or something was like 
Hey, already the summer, they're like, look at that. I mean, it inspires you. And it's like, there's going to be so many mistakes made based off one hot run. Yeah. And honestly, like you appreciate the confidence because that is obviously a part of these human beings playing sports, but St. Louis had a good team with good players. They were just underachieving and they found a coach to get the best out of them. They had a magical goalie run and that just, it's not going to happen every year. Yeah, the goalie run is one thing. I guess you're right. I mean, Craig Brube clearly had um, a massive effect because they were one of the best five-on-five teams after he took over, and they weren't. They were really struggling. Like they were losing, and a goaltending was a big part of it. But their underlying numbers were also Mm -hmm. very underwhelming compared to the players they had. So it's like, I guess Mike Yell is just the big loser here because, (laughs) like, just the fact that that season went the way it did. Like, I I, I wonder what's going through his head watching all that stuff. Yeah, and I remember after. The season ended, I did a piece with Jeremy Rutherford, who covers mm-hmm. the Blues for us, and it was sort of like a, I would look at the numbers, and he would talk to the people and, like, see, like, what happened, what was the change, and he said, like, almost everyone he talked to, like, they couldn't really, like, put a finger on, like, what exactly Brube changed or anything. <laughs> it was just, like, I think they just, it really was, like, a confidence thing, because they yeah. just kept losing and losing, and once they started playing a bit better they can feel it within themselves and go on that run all right well so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna do some kind of last minute uh prep work for the upcoming season we're gonna do some team over-unders we're gonna do some projections we're gonna do some we're gonna make our picks um we're gonna talk about individual awards and kind of like our favorite prop bets and and there's gonna be a little bit of a gambling spin to it but it's mostly just kind of uh our, our, our picks for the for the season so i'm excited to do this and, and you clearly uh you know you've done your homework and in, in profiling all of these teams and sort of laying out the most realistic outcomes for them and sort of the the basement and the ceiling what team did you get or or what fan base did you get the most pushback from because i remember um you know a couple of years ago or whatever the the devil's fans were very furious with your ranking and i know mm-hmm. that uh you had a bit of a a dust up with Islanders fans in, in last postseason, um, and I did myself as well. I think anyone that uh, was kind of preaching um, a conservative projection for their outcome uh, got a lot of vitriol, especially after they swept the Penguins. But when you released your rankings, what, what, what were the team? What were the team's fan bases that were the most like incredulous with how low you were on their team? There, there actually weren't that many this year. I feel like people are either avoiding me completely or they're understanding like what I'm trying to do now and I think also I've made changes to my model to better account for defense and I went through like 4,000 words per team to Mm. sort of like look at all the angles so there wasn't much to really argue with like obviously there will be but like I remember the one I was obviously most nervous about was the Islanders preview because I once again didn't have them that high (laughs) And I would have to explain myself even after changing my model for things that would make the Islanders look better, like expected goals, better for defense. And they still just come out just outside the playoffs. And it was a sigh of relief when I sent it to Arthur Staple. And he said, you know what? This was really good. Only the craziest of Islanders fans would look at this and have anything to really quibble with. And the overall, I guess, response was really positive because i guess people could see like the amount of effort that went through it and there were obviously like a couple on like each team saying oh uh, this team is too low how do you rank this player like this but it wasn't too bad i would say 
the most contentious one it wasn't even that contentious it was probably the avalanche only because mm. i had them kind of low like still yeah. like just outside the top 10 but the preseason hype for them yeah, is yeah of course people are a top five team yeah. yeah um yeah no i think i think that was fair um we are at a, a bit of a weird place or it's it's nice because I think there's pretty clearly like the senators, the red wings and the Kings in some order are like mm-hmm. just absolutely disastrous rosters at the moment. Yeah. And there's young pieces there in place to get excited about and prospects that they've drafted over the past couple of years that I'm sure will, um, the most diehard of their fans will be following them in, in whatever leagues they're playing in. But for the most part, it feels like the fan, those fan bases are like very, um, they've embraced their reality or they're sort of like very content with their outlook for this season. And they're kind yeah. of like very um, sort of they're good sports about it, especially like the Red Wings fans, for example. Like I find like if you like say anything bad about the Red Wings, like they're the first ones to be like, oh my God, I can't believe how much we're paying Jonathan Erickson still. Like they're like, they're fully embraced it. Like there's, there's, there's obviously the 1% with every fan base that thinks mm-hmm. that their worst players are great and that we're just haters. But for the most part, it feels like we're on the same page that the worst teams are going to be the yeah. worst teams this season. Yeah. Uh, I think with the, like every year you learn something, especially yep. with these contentious fan bases. And when these teams like do surprise, like the Islanders, like the Devils, you start being like more uncertain yourself. And like, that's not saying that like as a bad thing, like you should be uncertain when it comes to hockey, like anything can happen. So I remember yep. when I was writing the Kings preview, I gave them a like 5% chance of making the playoffs. And I'm like looking at the roster, I'm like, I mean, I can see why it's 5%, but I can also see yeah. why they maybe might surprise. Like, maybe <laughs> Drew Doughty becomes the Norris contender he's been in the past. Maybe Kopitar has one of those magical seasons. There there are ways for every team to make the playoffs, and that's why no yep. team starts at 0% and no team starts at 100%. So there's there's a chance Tampa doesn't make the playoffs. It's It would be ridiculous, but it could happen. Wow, that's uh, that's the one uh, that's the one soundbite we should, we should clip from this podcast. Tampa <laughs> won't make the playoffs. Um, that's yeah, that's that's not what we're advising. Um, all right, I guess we can take this any number of ways. Let's start with uh, let's start with our playoff picks, and mm-hmm. then we can kind of go into the, some of the team over unders and sort of the best bets for will there won't they make the playoffs? Let's start with the East. Mm-hmm. Here's the first question: Do you think that this is do you think it's getting too cute not to have the Lightning as the number one team in both the Atlantic and the Eastern Conference as a whole? Or do you think there's a legitimate argument to be made that they might approach this regular season a bit differently based on how last year went and that a team like, let's say, the Leafs, for example, has uh, much more incentive or much more inspiration heading into this year to really just go full throttle and try to win that Atlantic division to stay away from the Bruins in round one and to potentially uh, change what's happened for them over the past couple of years. Uh, I can see it, but I feel like the lightning, like, no, they are also in a tough division and they don't have a lock on that first seed either. Like as, as even though they're the best team in the league, like there's still a chance that they don't win the division because the second and third best teams are arguably the Leafs and Bruins, right? right. It's just tough that it's way. It's a great you, system that we have. Yeah, yeah. It's uh it's not ideal and I feel like you can make the argument that they might take things a little slower, like we've seen the Capitals in the past where they won presence trophies and it didn't matter. So like, okay, let's just chill out. We know we have some leeway to win, so why not just 
save it for the playoffs, but then you see the Lightning put a first line together of point Stamkos and Kucherov, and you're like, well, <laughs> maybe they want to beat last year's 128 points. Yeah, the crazy thing about the Lightning is I think you could make a legitimate argument that, at least on paper, they have a better roster this season than they had last year because I'm not expecting Kucherov to have another 128 points. I think it, it, it's sort of it's possible that they have as great of an offensive season, but it does feel like for a variety of factors, they'll come back down to earth a little bit just because it's so um, extreme, even with scoring up around the league. But most of their top players, if you look at it, are either on the way up in the case of a guy like Braden Point, for example, and even the Anthony Sorelli's of the world and Mikhail Sergachev, or they're like smack dab in their prime with Victor Hedman and Steven Stamkos, so he might be on the later end of it, but Kucherov and so on and so forth. And they, the difference between their roster that I think compared to last year is I think their subtractions were actually net positives. Um, you know, JT Miller is a nice player and mm. they're going to miss him a little bit, but I think he was like, their seventh or eighth most heavily used forward last year and that speaks to their immense depth and they have guys who could probably play more and step up into those roles and they have that first round pick from the Canucks that they could conceivably use as a trade chip if they want to add a forward in season but on their blue line they let Anton Strawman walk and he's not the player he used to be and with his injury history I wouldn't expect him to play the full season anyways Dan Girardi retires and then they replace them with Kevin Shattenkirk on this like classic lightning one year um, low risk high upside deal, we expect Sergachev and Chernak to play more minutes and be even better as they're developing based on their aging curve. And so, is it crazy to suggest that this team could conceivably be even better, even if the results, let's say, they're not going to have sixty two wins and they're not going to have all these insane point totals? Yeah, definitely. I think this is a better team on paper than the one that started and finished last year. I think. The loss of Miller is offset by internal guys just getting more minutes, replacing that. They also added Maroon, who mm-hmm. fills a size element and might be a better net front presence than Miller was right. on the power play. And then Shankirk, you can say what you want about him, but on the third pair on a great team like this, I'm sure he will look very good moving the puck to some of their great forwards. And Without Girardi, without Strawman, you can move Sergachev up into the top four and give him more minutes. And now that Lightning top four looks pretty like that was probably one of their weaknesses last yeah. year with Girardi and Strawman. Now it looks like a huge strength. So it's a difficult thing to process right. that this is a better team and they still won't match last. Yeah, they probably probably won't match because right. it was just so difficult to get there. And that's the thing. Like uh, I remember last year with the Leafs. There are people saying that the Leafs weren't as good as the season before because they finished with 100 points instead of 105 after adding Tavares. Like, what's going on here? And they they had more wins. Yeah. And they just didn't have that flashy, I think, shootout record or record in one-goal games. And they had better underlying numbers as well. And that's just how it goes sometimes when there's a huge range of outcomes in a league where everything is just so volatile. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, that's 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 pretty scary that um, the Lightning could conceive a little better. But I think the I think the Leafs, you can make an argument, are also better, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think the Gardner loss on defense is big, but they offset that at least a little bit with the Barry addition. They get rid of their two worst defensemen. It, 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 I, I equated it to um, 
like that scene from Moneyball where the the manager like wants to keep playing his guys. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt, uh, Billy Bean doesn't want him to play them, and so he just basically gets rid of the players so that the manager cannot play them anymore. And it felt like Kyle Dubas and the Leafs needed to do that to stop. <laughs> Um, to stop Mike Babcock from playing Patrick Marlowe, from playing Ron Hainsey and Nikita Zaitsev. And so they basically just like took away his toys and they're like, you have to play with ours instead. And and we'll see. I mean, I don't even want to spend much time here on, on Cody Cece, but what we saw from Rasmus Sandin in the preseason is very promising. And so for a team that wants to play that North-South game, especially with how much they ask their defensemen to do these kind of long bomb outlet passes, having Barry and having Sandine there, I think gives them another element of skill to potentially be even more effective in that regard, which is scary considering how good they've already been offensively over the past two years. Mm-hmm. Like it's clearly by design what they're trying to do with the blue line in that there's not many guys who can, who know where to stand quote unquote <laughs> right. from Babcock. Uh, but there are guys who know where to place the puck and put it on someone's stick rather than off the glass. And when you have, one of the more talented forward corps in the league. It is a huge asset, and I think you'll see the Leafs control the puck more than they did last year with multiple weapons on both sides at actually moving the puck, save for probably Cody Ceci, but I guess we will see how he does on a team we that will isn't see, see the, how he does. That isn't the worst in the league. It's a big upgrade for him. Yeah. No, I mean, if we see time and time again that environment is so key. Mm-hmm. I think... Uh, you know, the Penguins are kind of a classic example of this. Obviously, he didn't work with Jack Johnson. Some people are are, are beyond saving. Um, maybe if he was a, a handful of years younger, it would have worked out differently for him in Pittsburgh. But even like Eric Goodbranson yeah. had weirdly good underlying numbers for them. Justin Shaw is a classic example of a guy who looked like he was going to be playing in Europe and all of a sudden they acquire him and he's at least an above average usable defenseman for them. And so um, environment is huge in this league. And we see time and time, you know, whether it's coaching or just being surrounded by better players and feeling like you don't have to do everything. Like for mm-hmm. CC, he can make that simple non-flashy play now and still get a point out of it just because he gives it to Austin Matthews and Austin Matthews just does mm-hmm. the rest, right? And he he didn't really have the benefit of the doubt in that regard in Ottawa. And just playing with Riley on the left side, Matthews, Nylander, Janssen probably on the second top line that they have, rather than playing shutdown minutes in Ottawa next to like Mark Borowiecki and JGP on offense. Like he didn't, I don't think he played that many minutes with like Stone or anything. At least that's what Myrtle said in his piece today. I'll just trust him on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I, I, I don't think we need to spend more time on like, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Boston are no. clearly going to make the playoffs. Yeah. I guess the question is, can another Atlantic division team crack into that Eastern Conference playoff picture and, and actually steal one of those spots away from, from the Metro division? Or do you think we're going to see five Metro teams make it? Uh, I think that Florida and Montreal definitely have a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Florida will probably make it over some of the Metro teams. That's who I think would be the favorite for now especially with Bobrovsky and especially if he plays to his potential unlike last year where the start of the year was kind of like iffy for him. Right. And Montreal was somehow one of the best possession teams last year and they still have Claude Julien's system and they they have Nick Suzuki yep. making the team. That is a nice injection of skills. So it'll be competitive, that bubble. I don't think either of them can crack the top three but there's always that possibility if say 
the Leafs' revamped defense just falls apart. Maybe Anderson doesn't hold it together. Maybe Boston has a bit of a cup final hangover. They're mm. a very old team. Maybe they fall apart a bit. Maybe the Lightning don't shoot 20% on their power play this year and they fall apart. Right. Like they're, they're always those avenues, and it would be very surprising to see them, but it is possible. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Montreal's avenue to make the playoffs is far more mm-hmm. the, the Metro te- de- teams being overrated than one of those three teams ahead of yeah. them, their own division yeah, for falling sure. apart. But obviously, with all of the in-division games, it would help if they could steal some more points there. I actually, I have Montreal making it for me. Um, I don't feel great about it. I would feel very good about it if they had actually gotten Jake Gardner this summer and that hadn't rebuffed them because he's like the perfect left-handed defenseman to play with Shea Weber and finally give them that legitimate top pairing and ask Jeff Petrie to do less. But instead, their alternative was Ben Sherratt. And I really, that's like, that's going from, it's like going from like a nice, beautiful steak dinner to mm-hmm. like, a McDonald's hamburger <laughs> like that's basically what going from Jake Gardner to Ben Schrott in this case was and that's ultimately disappointing for me yeah uh it's not great um but Schrott has his qualities I think he is defensively strong his qualities okay he's right. uh he's he's very he's one-dimensional yeah, he's he knows one-dimensional where to stand. Yeah. he knows where to stand and that standing has some effectiveness and that might work with someone like Petrie who's very defensively inefficient at times and maybe that was their reasoning for the move but at the same time Petrie and Kulak played pretty well together and now you have Kulak on the third pair yep. while uh, whereas Sherratt goes in the second pair probably plays more minutes than he should and it feels like a retreat of the whole Carl Osner situation well and and the Jordy Ben loss was big he was really yes. good for them last yeah. year as well and so uh there's kind of a, a bit of a domino effect there and, and, and we'll see how that shakes out um you know you mentioned their possession rates they were a dominant 5 on 5 team last year their top 5 scoring team even so it wasn't mm-hmm. one of those things where they were just piling on the quality like they a quantity they were actually converting into goals they need to fix their power play yeah and it, i think if you told me that they were going to get a full season of the carry price we saw in the second half of last year i'd feel much be- more confident about yeah. them making the playoffs because he was remarkably good down the stretch and I think that was that was that was nice considering the fact that his contract just kicked in and the fact that he had struggled with injuries and decline of play for like a year and a half. So maybe if he's turned the corner there and this is kind of the new norm for him, um, they're going to be a really good team. Yeah, they they'll be a tough out. They don't have the elite offensive talent that a lot of the top teams have, but they have depth, remarkable depth. Yeah, so much forward depth, and they have a good system. They have okay defensive depth. They have they still have Weber if he stays healthy and I think price is a big X factor that can sort of mitigate a probably another terrible year on the power play the Panthers are an interesting team Mm -hmm. when we we talk about our over-unders and some of our favorite bets like I I'm very intrigued by Panthers not to make the playoffs Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm very intrigued by their over-under total um like I said, like around 95 and a half or so. Like, I, I think they could still, Bobrovsky could could be a big um, influence for them in the goal, goal suppression department. They have a great power play. Their top six is awesome. But they're another one of those teams where I don't love the depth. I don't, I have a lot of questions still. Um, we'll see what first year under Joel Quinville looks like. But I just think just based on how much money they spent and like the fact that they got the best goalie on the market, there does seem to be this common perception that Bobrovsky is just going to fix all of what ailed them last year. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that certainly could be the case. 
but it's not as much of a given as people seem to be making it out to be, I think. No, nothing when it comes to goaltending is a given, especially yeah. for that well, team last he wasn't year. He was that good last year. Like, he was awesome yeah. in the playoffs and down the stretch, but, like, if you look at his overall numbers, Yeah, the first half wasn't great, so... And he is an older goalie, so it's not ideal. But Florida's biggest problem last year was goaltending. I feel like if they even had average goaltending, they would have been in the playoff mix. So you can see the thought process there and why people assume that they can be maybe in that top three mix because they added a guy like Bobrovsky. I think the big X factor will be Quenville and Mm -hmm. what he can get out of one of the most overpaid defense corps in the league. Yeah, no, certainly. The goaltending was an issue, but I, I also, it's not, it's a bit overly convenient that James Reimer and Roberto Luongo just completely fell apart yeah. at the same time. Like, I think it's probably more likely that what was going on in front of them played a role in that. And um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, Ekblad had a really good bounce back season. Yandel's a nice player. Uh, I think Matheson's definitely overrated. And Strawman, they overpaid him. So we'll see, but it's going to be tough in that division where they very conceivably could improve and still be like the fifth best team in their own division. Yeah. And it would be a matter of whether fifth in the Atlantic is better than fourth in the Metro, which let's pivot to the Metro then, because it is really tough to figure out what to make of it. Yeah. Like I I think the range of outcomes for a lot of these teams, um, and the fact that like we could have five or six of them within like a handful of points of each other makes it so tough to have any sort of a, a firm grasp on like our expectations for what's going to happen. Do you have any sort of inkling into who you like to win it? Um, who might be overrated or underrated in this division and whether you do, do you have any hot takes in terms of like one of these especially these teams that we just pencil in every year, whether it's the Penguins or the Capitals, potentially taking a step back and actually missing it for once? I think my only hot take is that Carolina is the best team in the Metro right now. Yeah, I just love their defense corps. Uh, they have some good forward talent, and I think what they have is stronger than what the Penguins and Capitals have, but I think that is the top three in this division. I think the Rangers, as exciting as their offseason was, they are still probably the worst team in this division because they have Ryan Strom at second line center and they have a defense that is Jacob Truba, a bunch of guys, and also Mark Stahl. (laughs) I'm just not very confident in that. And the rest, there is an argument for every team. There's an argument for the Devils after adding Hughes, Subban, Simmons, Gusev. I think, to me, they are... The playoff, they are the playoff team in the Metro right now. I think I have them at 55% to make the playoffs, 93 points. So it's not like they're in, right? But they have the inside track to me. And then it'll come down to the Flyers what they can get out of Carter Hart, what Vigneault does with the group, whether their power play can improve. With the Islanders, it's whether they can coax some offense from their lineup and still be the stingy defensive team, whether Varlamov can be better in a trot system. Right. With the Blue Jackets, I am much higher on them than I think the general public, yeah. but everything hinges on what their mystery goaltending duo <laughs> can can muster this hey, year. Hey, I ride with Elvis. Elvis is Elvis is going to take him to the promised land. He's in, I, he's in the building. Hey, maybe I I do not know anything about him whatsoever. 
he's just listed as guy in my projections yeah. because he has no or limited NHL. That. I don't know how many games he's played. But no, he's playing not in zero games. Zero. There yeah. you go. So but he's, he's dominated the Swiss League, which I don't know what the translation yeah. factor is there. But um, I guess it's better than not having dominated another mm-hmm. league, right? And and I don't know. He, he, he seems like an exciting bet. I, I like that Columbus is going into the year with... Spite. Well, with spite, I like that they're, they're going in without um, sort of a, a safety net mm-hmm. in goal. Because a lot of these teams, I think, if they were in the similar situation, Brodsky left, they would have brought in, they would have recycled one of these like very underwhelming backups that is mm-hmm. just going to eat up starts and be league average or below. And for them, they're like embracing the unknown a little bit of like, this might be a rebuilding year, but we might also have two really good goalies. Let's just see mm-hmm. what happens. We can always just get one of these Curtis McElhaney types yeah. at some point down the road. So I like that they're not like capping their ceiling and at least leaving the door open to potentially having good goaltending. Yeah, I, I do like that, especially with goaltending being the most volatile. The underrated thing I like about the Blue Jackets this year is they won't have to probably deal with Brandon Dubinsky's services on the fourth line. They can mm. maybe inject some skill well they have so much depth yeah they they could roll four skill lines without like that panarin level superstar but like four good lines Mm. that can move the needles yeah sort of what we saw with the habs last year where everyone was writing them off and then they had four lines that just like overwhelm people and i think we might see the same with blue jackets i think we want to see a big step from dubois this year Mm -hmm. and be the guy that was drafted third overall yeah yeah, well, especially without Panarin sort of mm-hmm. doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Yeah, that would be interesting. Him and Atkinson, how they perform. Yeah. There's so much to unpack in this Metro division. It, it's I think the Metro is like a great psychological experiment in terms of um, how you view things from like how excited you get about uh, sort of these shiny new toys and like the recency bias of the Rangers and the Devils. They made so many moves. They bought mm-hmm. on all these new players. People are talking about talking themselves into them with based on preseason hype, especially the Devils more so than the Rangers. I think people, for the most part, agree that the Rangers probably won't be mm-hmm. as good this year. They'll be more fun. They'll be more promising. But it's a it's more of a longer term project. But then I I do feel like I have this nagging feeling in the back of my head that we're gonna come to the end of the year and once again the Capitals and the Penguins will have a hundred plus points. Mm-hmm. They'll be you know, in the top three of the Metro division. And we'll be like, we got fooled by Mm -hmm. the new thing on the block. And we should have just trusted the process because these teams, regardless of what's happening, just always seem to be there at the end of the day. There, there are a surprising number of people ready to write off the Penguins after seeing what happened to the Blackhawks and the Kings and say, you know what, Penguins, it's been too long at the top. We're just going to... Oh, I think also getting swept yeah. and scoring like five yeah. total goals against the Islanders. Like if that first round had played out differently, I think people's expectations for the Penguins this year would be higher. Yeah, and then you have a potential pairing of Johnson and Good Branson. People are like, all right, Penguins, you are my <laughs> spicy pick to miss the playoffs. And I I don't really see it. They With the season cross we had last year with Malkin maybe getting back to being Malkin, they have a lot of forward depth too. They still have Latang. If they're healthy, they should be good. And down the stretch last year, I think it's like underreported that when they added Bukestad and McCann, they were an elite expected goals yep. team. The one caveat there is I, I think we can't just gloss over if they're healthy, especially mm-hmm. with Latang. Um, and Malkin, yeah. Yeah, like with, with Latang, I mean, he's a, such a tremendous player and they rely on him so much, but. 
he basically is a lock to miss 15 to 20 games at some point. <laughs> yeah. And that's sad to say, but it's the reality. Just go look at his game logs. Like it's, it, it happens every year pretty much. And so, um, if he misses a longer period of time, I think they're going to be in trouble. I think if some of Crosby, uh, potentially coming back down to earth a little bit mm-hmm. could be sort of balanced out by Malkin being better than he was last year, but you know, they relied on Crosby so much to do everything for them. And if he's just, good and not absolutely insanely great and mm-hmm. potentially the MVP um they could struggle a little bit but you're right i mean you just don't want to be the person that's betting against Crosby mm-hmm. Malkin and Latang because yeah. they're they're that damn good and you're going to wind up looking stupid yeah and i feel like the comparisons to chicago and la i just i don't think they're as founded cuz those teams they weren't as deep at forward as pittsburgh yeah, is yeah they've done a much better and job and as good as taves Kane, Keith, Kopitar, Dowdy are, they are not Crosby, Malkin, Latang, even though some of them are in the league's top 100 players of all time and some aren't. <laughs> but it is disappointing that their big offseason move was Brandon Tanev. Like, if, if yeah. they had done something more with that cap space, I would feel much better yeah. about this. Um, so that's concerning. <laughs> yes, very, very much so. You Imagine just trading Kessel away and using that space to get a third line player and then shove him next to Malkin and say, you know what, well, let's let's see how this goes. Man, the list of Evgeny Malkin's wingers over the years is... is, is yeah. uh, I would watch a full documentary <laughs> just based on, on all those guys. Um, so, okay, let's 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 make some, some formal picks here then. So who are the eight teams you have out East making the playoffs? Uh, I have Lightning, Leafs, Bruins yep. in the Atlantic, Carolina, Pittsburgh, Washington in the Metro. And then wild card, I am going with the Devils and Panthers. Mm. So I'm going to go with the Habs and the Flyers. The Flyers. The Flyers. I I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Here's my argument. We hate the Kevin Hayes contract. There's no doubt he makes them better this year. Yeah. Just based on what he's replacing down the middle. Uh, Carter Hart full season of him he doesn't need to be the savior he just needs to be competent better than the seven other guys they played last year Mm -hmm. el has his flaws as a coach but the track record suggests that early on his team will buy into what he's selling and he will get the most out of them and you put that all together and then with the start with the star talent they have up front the fact that i'm still betting on Shane Gostas-Bear and Ivan Provorov to be much better than they looked last year where they just both fell mm-hmm. apart um, just based on their age and their pedigree and the fact that they've already shown at the NHL level I think they're better than that and so you put all those pieces together and I actually think that Flyers team is good and that makes me nervous because whenever you are confident about the flyers being something they wind up being the exact opposite and so watch them be the worst team in the league just because i feel like they're gonna be good the safest bet for philadelphia is right in the middle yeah. always and i have them in ninth you mm-hmm. have them probably in yeah. eighth yeah. so so he's good yeah but trust me there's gonna be points where they look like the 31st team and there's gonna be points where they look like the first team yeah wasn't there that season where they won and lost 10 games in a row in the same so flyers field of flyers um all right so i like it um let's do the west then Mm -hmm. so do you think it's safe to say that the top three uh pacific teams in some order are going to be vegas san jose and calgary yes I think that is an extremely safe bet just based on everyone else in the Pacific. Yeah, so I have Vegas winning the West. Yep. West. 
Um, I don't know why I said vest. Uh, they're winning the best. Um, the Pacific behind those three teams is brutal. Mm-hmm. And kind of playing off of what we were talking about at the start where you could see some of these teams convincing themselves that they could make the playoffs and be this year's Colorado or whatever and mm-hmm. win a round and push a team in round two. I think that some of these Pacific teams, and we've already seen it with Vancouver based on how they approach this summer, how much money they spent on yeah. guys who don't really move the needle that much and how all in they are with this weird eclectic mix of underwhelming talent. Um, there's going to be some of those teams, even Edmonton. I mean, if you have McDavid, you have a chance. Um, I guess LA and Anaheim are probably content with with not being there, but Arizona, based off what they showed last year, so we've got those three teams right there that I think are heading into the season, talking themselves into there being a plausible chance they could be a wild card team, and I just don't see it. I think mm-hmm. I think the Central is going to have all five or, or both of the wild card spots yeah. and, and qualify five teams here. Uh, I think so. I I'm just going to say that I will not take any Anaheim Ducks slander in this mm. preseason. I think. I think they will surprise some people. They have the best goal in the league. I think we can agree on that, even if some general managers do not. What do you think was worse last year, having Randy Carlisle as their coach or like quite literally not having a coach for the second half of the season? It was having Randy Carlisle <laughs> yeah. as a coach because they, I think under Bob Murray, who is a GM probably. He was like, legitimately, these games were hilarious. He was just standing there just kind of like, yeah. he let his assistant coaches do the work, but he was just like, I'm just hanging out and just getting a front row seat to what's happening here. Yes, and they did fine, which says a lot about Carlisle. And the fact is they are not under Carlisle this year. They still have talented-ish players who all collapsed last year in a Carlisle-fueled explosion. (laughs) And I think what's most interesting about them is they have young guys who can maybe take a step and catapult them into respectability they have sam Steele, they have max comtois they have max jones they have troy terry and all of whom have a rapport with akins already based on yeah, their AHL work. yeah exactly and i think a lot of those guys will get bigger roles this year and it won't just be the gets laugh show it won't just be the raquel show and maybe we see a few more minutes for andre kasha as well instead of whatever he was getting with yep. carlisle and i think think they will surprise some people and be a playoff bubble team yeah like still far away from the bubble but i don't think they'll be a bottom feeder that's my hot take for the season yeah no i like it i mean when you have john gibson we saw early on Mm -hmm. last year before like he started looking like a normal human being but when he was playing out of his mind which he can do for stretches for sure he gave them a chance to stay competitive and the roster around him has room to grow and get better conceivably even their veteran players as i was talking about in my watchability rankings are all guys who are kind of like in their prime right that like raquel silverberg linhole manson fowler group they're all still like late 20s and still Mm -hmm. should be good players and i guess my one concern about getting too high on them is the fact that sometimes we see with these young players like we just sort of expect them to get better every season Mm -hmm. and Maybe it's unfair to evaluate them because especially at the start of the year, like a lot of it was under Carlisle's system. Yeah. And then down the stretch, you don't know what to make of the numbers, but there's going to be growing pains. And especially with some of these forwards, if they're asking too much of them, they could get caved in a little bit of 5-1-5 against a team like Vegas that is just like rolling out these two top lines against them all time and time again. So I'm like, I have a bit of a reservation. I love their long-term outlook. I think they're going to be much more 
exciting and interesting to follow this year for sure. But in terms of actual tangible on ice results, I think it might be a bit more a slower process than uh, mm-hmm. than expecting them to just be significantly better. This yeah, year. and that argument is definitely there for a lot of those young guys. They got like absolutely caved. Yeah. It was in unfair last at the start of the year. They were yeah. just like throwing them into to the wolves. Water. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, so the central is. Um, is tricky to sort out similar to the metro i guess because i feel pretty confident that chicago and minnesota won't make the playoffs although they're going to be like good and difficult outs but man winnipeg winnipeg uh we're going to talk about them here um they are my most intriguing will not make the playoffs bet i mean if you can get them at plus 130 that is uh that's enticing yeah it uh it says a lot when the team opens at, I think, 95, 96 points, and the VIG immediately, like, moves up extremely to, like, you need to put down 300 to win 100 on this yeah. bet. And I remember when I first, like, did my projections, Winnipeg just did not grade out very well. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a, uh, a spicy one, maybe, because people still see the elite talent they have. Like, this is contender all this stuff but they their defensive depth just got depleted mm-hmm. in the offseason now yep. you have maybe bufflin not even playing it just looks it looks brutal yeah yeah i mean then they didn't really do anything to replace those minutes even if i think they were justified in not paying tyler myers what he wanted getting paid yep. uh not paying ben Sherratt what he wound up getting paid they kind of had their hands tied a bit with jacob truba because it feels like the rest of the league sort of just realized the inevitable outcome there and you could argue they, they should have just brought him back and played him this year and tried to figure it out next summer but uh they clearly wanted to resolve that situation so like i feel for them in that regard but the fact that especially heading into the season without bufflin in the starting lineup i mean is josh morrissey gonna lead the league in ice time like he might have to out of necessity <laughs> yeah. just because otherwise it's a lot of tucker pullman and i don't know a uh, great name i don't know how far that's gonna take them and they certainly have the offensive talent up front to win uh, their fair share of games by a 5-4, 6-5 score, but that's not a great strategy heading into the year where you're just kind of expecting that, and I think that's sort of what they're facing at this point, unless Bufflin can come back and be healthy and be the dominant player that he's been in the past, which, even given his recent injury concerns, still seems like a stretch, even if he does announce that he's going to come back and play. Even Even with Bufflin, I'm just not sold on this team because they have two good defensemen and a lot of right replacement level awfulness really and the issue with the forwards is they have depth but that second line center slot is still an issue with brian little just depleting over the years and just getting absolutely roasted by patrick line this this offseason i mean i don't don't, know how do you how do you you show your face after that and I think last year we saw some issues even with the top line. Yep. They were getting out chance, outscored down the stretch when the defensive depth just sort of was ravaged by injuries. And that might be a precursor to what we see this year. So with Bufflin, I would put them outside the playoffs. Without Bufflin, they might be the worst team in the Central. So which Central team do you have making it ahead of them then? The Minnesota Wild. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> I saw I saw the uh, the projections for the evolving wild guys and how how high they had this team. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Let's no. let's let's debate the Minnesota Wild. 
I mean, I think sometimes we can definitely, uh, the fact that they were such a mess in terms of their front office last mm-hmm. year, uh, it's kind of tough to shake that, which has no bearing on this team's projection heading into this season, considering Paul Fenton's gone and considering that they're going in with this roster. Um, you know, the Zuccarello contract was abhorrent, I thought, but he clearly makes them better this year, similar to what we said about Kevin Hayes. They're getting Matt Dumba back. Uh, they have a couple young guys. Hmm? And Clayton. Exactly, yeah, although at his age, I'm not sure what can we, we, can, we can reasonably expect from him. But mm-hmm. it feels like, um, yeah, maybe maybe the fact that it's such a weird mix of players and that stink from last year, maybe that's kind of clouding my judgment a little bit. But I do feel like based on all the age and the miles on a lot of their key players, they really need, like, a best case scenario season, mm-hmm. I think, health wise, especially to achieve uh, playoff status here. Although, if if the Blackhawks are such a mess defensively again, and the bottom of the Pacific sucks, and the Jets just completely bottom out because of their uh, depleted defense, there's definitely an opening there. I just think, ex- like, just locking in guys like Stahl, Parise, Suter, Koivu to play 82 games and be dominant players. Some, it might be a bit of a, like a we're treating it as a foregone conclusion and it might not necessarily be that mm-hmm. and when i did my because before i do my projections i always like pull the public and say okay where do you see these teams and a lot of people had minnesota like near the bottom well, they were a laughing stock yeah they were they were a laughing stock and the arguments for me is that this was one of if not the best defensive teams last year yeah. and they will have koivu back who is still a defensive workhorse. They'll have their top four defense intact. The main issue will be, is Dubnik going to be as bad as he was last year? Or can he maybe improve just a little and be only below average instead of severely below replacement level? Because that goaltending, based on the defense structure, what was expected of him, it was one of the worst in the league. And it's been that way for two years straight. So... That'll be a big key. The other key for me is that this was still a 54% expected goals team. Mm. And their goal share was around 48%, something like that. And I went through the history of teams that underperformed expected goals by that margin. And the average bounce back was almost identical to the gap from the year before. So if the Wild can still be this expected goals team... And there is a reason to believe that based on some of the forward depth they have, the defense structure, Bruce Boudreaux. I feel like they can outscore teams at 5-5 five and five and hopefully get by. Well, expect like betting on Bruce Boudreaux's team to make the playoffs is typically mm-hmm. a good bet. Um, I don't know how much to buy into this. And this is one of the frustrations about where we're at with uh, our information that's presently yeah. available in terms of... Um, the shot share stuff, the expected goals, how we're calculating it, the the tracking data that will hopefully eventually come and be publicly available. Um, because I don't think they are a 54% expected goal team. Mm-hmm. I think that they're not a 46 or 47% or whatever you said they are either. They're probably some in the middle. I think they're um, in the black. And I think if they are, that's going to be clearly a result in a much better season for them. But I was looking into this when, because I noticed that Devin Dubnik had like, 
I think only Jonathan Quick was worse in terms yeah. of goals saved above average, but he had an above average save percentage. And I remember wondering like what was going on there and looking at their uh, defensive numbers and their expected goal shares and thinking like there's something weird going on here. And I remember, um, you know, my, my good buddy, Kevin Woodley, who was on the podcast recently and talking about goalies was telling me about how, um, uh, one of the tracking companies, ClearSight analytics has mm-hmm. this info about sort of the screens that were involved mm-hmm. with, with Dubnik and sort of some of the movement in terms of what was happening in the defensive zone. And there could be something weird going on there where maybe, um, the way we're calculating expected goals right now might not actually be very accurate or there might be a monkey wrench thrown in there. So I'm really curious to see how that plays out because you're right by the conventional argument of just looking at what happens with these teams. um, They should be a lot better and there's an opening there to make the playoffs. I'm just wondering how much better they really are going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I definitely see that. My thing is I think they'll be in the mix. Yeah, for sure. I just don't think they will be the laughing stock. People are making them out to be, the expected goals argument is interesting because I see Minnesota 54% and I see the evolving wild twins running the side. I'm like, hmm, what's going on here, boys? <laughs> and so I, I messaged them and I uh, chirped them a bit for that. I think Alex Novet at Hockey Graphs did a interesting thing where he looked at an expected goals model using stuff like that with like pre-shot movement, yeah. stuff that we can track. And he saw that location was still one of the biggest factors. Right. And if we've seen in the past that teams with this huge gap make up that gap in the year pri- the following year, I think there is some merit that there is some regression coming, especially with with the Wild. It wasn't just Doomnik just being a sieve or right. whatever it was. It was also on offense where Zucker, Stahl... They weren't converting right. as many goals. Absolutely, as yeah. I think they I think it'll be offensively. I think they're going to be significantly better. Yeah. I think there's clear regression coming there, especially for a guy like Sucker. I mean, you look at his career rates and then what happened last year, and I'm sure there's also a psychological element as well. Mm-hmm. Like he had a tough year. He was in trade rumors all year. Yeah. He was going to be traded a couple times. It looked like it was going to happen. Like that must weigh on you. So I, I fully expect him to get back to 30 goals and and have a bounce back season, and that'll be huge. And so I think offensively, 100%. Defensively was, and I still think the way we measure defensive stats is still mm-hmm. up for debate. And I, I listen. I've seen this argument time and time again. So I'm not going to be on the side of. Um, being against the regression happening because mm-hmm. when people go like, oh no, the shot quality, blah, blah, like typically it winds up making them look stupid and have egg on their face. So I think the wild will be better. I, I just I just think it's an interesting discussion point because it it's not necessarily as cut as dried as, as people sometimes like to make it. Yeah, it seem. definitely isn't. And I mean, I would have loved to watch more wild games, have a more informed opinion, but right. I did not want to watch many wild games last year. Well, I mean, I got to stay on brand. Uh, Kevin Fiala breakout season. Yeah. Uh, for the fifth straight year, I'm calling it. Um, so <laughs> He's I'm going to take, take that to the grave. Yeah. I mean, I like, you know, all jokes aside about Paul Fenton, but getting a guy like Donato, getting Fiala, at least like they did bring, they did raise their offensive upside a little bit with some of these young guys. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot, lot like Joel Erickson act. Like there's, there's good players here. They're just reliant on old guys. And that concerns me a little bit. And um otherwise you're right i think the statistical case is certainly there to have them as like kind of that fifth central team Mm -hmm. so let's okay so here's how i have it i have dallas and nashville as the top two central teams and then i have st louis uh st louis colorado and then Mm -hmm. some combination of winnipeg and minnesota yeah i i would just flip 
St. Louis and Dallas. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this because I see the odds makers are lower on St. Louis than other cup winners. I see in my poll that people aren't as high on the Blues in general, and I had them in the top five mm. again because right. of their defensive metrics. So what do you what do you see about the Blues that you have them in third? Um, Especially after seeing them dominate the season, the second half of last year. I am skeptical that Jordan Bennington mm-hmm. is as good as he looked last year and as his biggest defenders would have you believe he is. Yeah. Um, now, with this team's defensive structure, uh, their possession rates, how they play in front of him, he doesn't necessarily need to be great for him to have a 920 save percentage mm-hmm. and for this team to win a lot of games. So I think there's a lot of wiggle room there, but I don't know. I, I, I don't want to make the sort of... Uh, lazy kind of uh, talking head argument of like they're going to come out of the gate slow because Stanley Cup hangover. I, I think they're a really, really good team. They were a top five, five on five team last year under Boudreau, uh, under uh, Craig Berube. And so there's a lot of talent there. I'd love to see them uh, play some of these young guys a bit more. Um, I don't know. I, ju- I just really like Dallas and Nashville this year, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the regular season. I think you can make the argument that St. Louis is the best team of those. Of those, I just think for those other two teams, I like them slightly more from a regular mm-hmm. season projection basis. And people aren't aren't as high on Nashville this year either, which is strange. I think they're the second best yeah. team with you. I think they'll be right around a hundred points. And I think losing Subban would be hard for any team, but mm-hmm. when you are Nashville and we can still have Roman Yossi on the top power play, when right. you can get Dante Falbro, just, yeah, get in there, scan the top four kid, and he'll be fine yeah. probably. And it got them Duchesne, and it gives them a, a pretty strong top six where they're breaking up the Jofa line, but I love what they're doing by putting Forsberg, Duchesne, and Granlin together. Mm-hmm. I think that could be one of the more intriguing lines in the league this year. Absolutely. And I think sometimes the hate goes a bit too far on Matt Duchesne. Like this thing, there's mm-hmm. certainly an element of empty calorie scoring with him on occasion. And uh, he might not be the type of impact player that he looks like he is when he's putting together a highlight real player, a highlight real goal. But, you know, this team made big bets on, they've been looking for a second line center behind Ryan Johansson for years. Mm-hmm. They made big bets on Kyle Zaris and Nick Bonino, and both of them worked out horribly for them. I think for Duchesne, he does bring a bit of a sort of like, a, he's going to kickstart things a little bit. It feels like this team's gotten a bit stale. Um, I, I just think he gives them a bit more offensive upside, a bit more dynamic play. And it's going to be hard for them with Duchesne there and with a new power play coach to be a historically bad 31st-ranked power play again, considering yeah. the talent they have. And yeah. and maybe the fact that Subban's gone now might actually mean that they start playing four forwards on the power play and not two defensemen. And as weird, as counterproductive as that sounds, uh, it might be a bit of an addition by subtraction just purely on the power play, not yeah. in terms of overall uh, production. So if their power play even becomes like the 20th best, like... I still think they're going to be really good at 5-on-5. Five five. They've got great defense. They've got two awesome scoring lines. And they have arguably the best goalie tandem in the league when you factor in the backup. So I just I, I think it's a really, really good team. I just don't I, see it. Yeah, I, I love it. Uh, the thing with Duchesne is I'm not as high on him either. But I think the fit here is just yeah. incredible, especially the way they're putting him with between Forsberg and Granlin, two guys who can really drive play on the wings. Yeah. You've got three guys who can carry the puck well, I think. Right now, if you go on daily faceoff, they have this as the second line. I this is their this is their top yeah. line, right? And 
the power play will be interesting. I would love to see Arvidsson get more than like three points or whatever he got last year. <laughs> right. And we'll see how it goes. I think just the other thing other than four forwards, one D is that the Predators were one of those teams that didn't just use their top unit. Right. And now that Subban isn't there, you don't have that, okay, we need to give Yossi and Subban their minutes. They yeah. can just say, this is our first unit. Let's give them 60, 65% of the minutes. And hopefully that gives them more time to actually figure something out there. So what would that first unit for you look like? I mean, obviously some of this is like, um, you know, a personnel sort of driven thing and you want to put guys into places where they're, you can maximize their skill sets. But let's assume Roman Yossi is on the top power play, although Ryan Ellis is perfectly fine as a puck mover himself there. But if you've got Yossi and you've got Duchesne, considering how much you paid him, he's going to be there. Forsberg has to be there. Mm -hmm. You're saying you want Arbitz in there. Who's 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 getting cut out there from uh, from Johansson or Granlin? Because you'd think Johansson, but Granlin has been historically a really awesome power play distributor. Yeah. So it's kind of I don't know what you do there. Yeah, he has, and that is that is a tough question because I think he's been better than Johansson in that regard. Mm -hmm. But that you're starting with Johansson to start. Yeah, I think the issue is that they don't really have someone who can man the net front like Arvidsson. Right and he also doesn't really do well there. So that might be, if he doesn't fit on the top unit, I think that's the first person I would cut and maybe get Forsberg in there, get Duchesne in there. I feel like they have decent hand-eye, maybe get like a Joe Pavelski type thing going. Right. I like Arvidsson as a net front. He's not the conventional guy, but like he's like jumping up and down and he's doing wild stuff. He's he, pissing he people off. He had like three points I last know, year in like I know, 200 I minutes. Know. So I mean... But even when, they added, even when they added Granlin and Simmons, I was expecting, I was like, okay, mm -hmm. this makes sense. Their power play will be better. And they were an 0-4 in the playoffs in like 30 minutes against the Stars. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was bad. Like, they were, that's the reason why they lost that series. Yeah. And so, uh, Dallas has become a really trendy team as we close out uh, the Western Conference here because they look good in the postseason. They add Pavelski. Um, I guess the concern here would be expecting Bishop to be healthy and be as good as he was last year. Um, but at the same time, with Montgomery's defensive system in front of him and the fact that Hudobin is a really good backup for them, um, I'm kind of buying in on like all of this Stars hype. I, I think they're going to be a really, really good regular season team. I think they'll be good. I, don't, I wouldn't go as far as really good. I, they'll be in the mix for sure. They'll be one of the top four teams, I think. If you have St. Louis, Nashville, Dallas, Colorado as your top four, you're pretty much like splitting hairs. Like yep. one of them is going to show up and be the best team. I personally think Dallas is third in the pecking order right mm. now. The issue for me is they have these elite talents, some of the best, probably one of the best cores in the league, but their depth at forward is bad. Yeah. It's it's not great. It, it is bad. Um, at the same time, though, I do think the, uh, the Pavelski addition is mm -hmm. nice from a flexibility perspective and sort of how Montgomery can mix stuff up. And I know they've been like they've been using hints down the middle as a second line center and having Radulov on his wing. Mm -hmm. I think we could see Pavelski potentially be the second line center with hints on his wing. Like they can mix and match with that. They have Faxa as sort of that traditional uh, third third center that plays against other teams' best players. I love the blue line. The blue line is something I really love because one. Montgomery's already shown, especially in the postseason, that he's willing to get creative and just toss Klingberg and Heiskanen out together for all the offensive zone draws. Mm -hmm. um, two, 
I think we can't overstate the importance of replacing Ben Lovejoy's minutes with Andre Sekera. Uh, I know that he's not the player he once was because of all these debilitating injuries, but he showed that he can be a, a really good third-pairing defenseman on Edmonton last year. And so they basically... I, I know it's crazy to say about a team that has Roman Polak playing meaningful minutes, but I, I love all of the other defensive pieces there, and I think they're good enough to uh, compensate for that. So I, I, I just, I just, I just like this team. I, maybe it's a bit of recency bias because based on uh, their postseason run, but I think there's a lot of talent there to, to be maximized. I think we we will see. I I disagree about the defense. Obviously, Polak is uh, is Polak and not great. And the fact that I think he's still in the top four is a big issue yeah. that really limits Heiskanen's potential. The the thing for me is I like I love Klingberg. Mm-hmm. I like Heiskanen. I don't like any of the other defensemen on the team. I do not see the Essa Lindell fanfare that mm. that is uh that is one of the more contentious things from my comments I remember. Yeah. That I literally had to write in this year's preview. I will die on this hill yeah. when it comes to Lindell because I've had so many arguments with Stars fans saying this is God's gift to defense and he <laughs> doesn't really suppress yeah the underlying chances. numbers aren't there yeah 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 it's weird i like watching him play but you're right every time you look at the numbers there's kind of a they don't align with yeah. what you're seeing he he looks good and yeah. he has great defensive numbers and when it comes to defending entries but if he does all those things good why right there's something else going on what is what is going on right yeah well, John Carlson was like my main guy. I mean, he had the offensive numbers, so it's a different com- different comparison. But he was always one of those guys where when you watch him play, you're like, this guy's the best defenseman in the league. Like, look how <laughs> good he looks physically on the ice. And then for years, you would look at his underlying numbers yeah. and be like, he's like average. Like, he's mm-hmm. okay. He's not bad, but he's not the best. And then he, last year, he just exploded and had a crazy yeah. year. So I, I don't know. I think the issue with Carlson is spending so much time with Alsner. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe defensemen are voodoo. Maybe, maybe defensemen are the new voodoo. Um, okay, let's let's. We're at the one hour mark. Let's quickly bang through. What are your What are a couple of your favorite um, over unders to be targeting, and whether it's teams that will or won't make the playoffs in that that particular bet, or whether it's specific uh, point totals in either the positive or the negative. So I, I tweeted as soon as I saw the playoff odds. I yeah. tweeted right away that this is one of the most insane lines I've ever seen in my life. And I've been betting for, I think, like the past like five or six years. But the Carolina Hurricanes opened at minus 105 to make the playoffs. Yeah. And that line right now, I think, is around minus 200. Right. Which is still probably too low. Yeah, they're going to make the playoffs. I, I'm very confident they're going to make the playoffs. I think they're the best team in the Metro, especially after adding Gardner. And I just could not get enough money down on that bet. I mean, their point total is still over under 95 and a half. Yeah. And they had 99 last year. Yeah. And, and they are better this year. Exactly. So I guess the, the, the kind of question or concern is whether they're going to get the same goaltending and their goalie coach left. And, and we've seen uh, with the Hurricanes over the years that yeah. what, what and other teams, what a big difference having even just average goaltending can do compared to bottom three goaltending. So I guess that would be the one concern. But you're right. This The skater group is so good. They mm-hmm. have guys who are just going to get better. Uh, their blue line's better, and it was already the best in the league. So I just, you're right. I, I, don't, I don't see why people would expect them to be worse. And I think even their, their Stanley Cup odds were 28 to 1 or something at some mm-hmm. point. I don't know if they've, if they've dropped, if people have been betting it down since. But, um, I think it's still around 25. 
Yeah, so uh, that would be an interesting kind of a long shot as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even to win division is like five to one. That feels like a, a decent one to me. So I've got a, I've got a couple other ones here. Uh, the the hurricane's over for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of like this uh, Blue Jackets over 83 and a half. Yeah, I, I like that one I think a that's lot. too low. I think the hate's gone too far. The hate has gone too far. I feel like people overrate how much of an impact a superstar has. Yep. I think they see what happens in the NBA and like, oh, yeah, they're going to be a bottom feeder. I think there's enough there to still be competitive depending on what the goal thing does. And if you believe in Elvis, then that's a no <laughs> brainer. Believe in Elvis. So yeah, Columbus was one of the ones I've definitely bet on. And then the other two big ones for me were, as you can probably guess from the tone of this podcast, were Anaheim and Minnesota. Yeah, Ducks 80 and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Minnesota 86 and a half is interesting too. I mean, I even like, uh, you know, Montreal, 88 and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, what yeah. they, have? they had 96 last year. So yeah. I and think even if you think they were just an average team, that's still like a four point cushion on, yep. on that. So I, I did like that one. I think the, the point totals have been, have gotten a lot sharper. It's not like, right. I think like five years ago where you could like parlay eight of them and be reasonably confident that you were going to make a lot of money. Yeah. But th- they've gone sharp, sharp with that. But the playoff odds that mm. they put out were honestly insane to me. Yeah, I mean, Jets still, the fact that they're still uh, plus 130 to not make the playoffs, I mean, honestly, even, like, there's, like, stuff like Canucks minus 175, like, mm-hmm. I, I feel great about betting against the Canucks making the playoffs. Like, it's 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 crazy to Here's me. Here's the thing, like, like, even the Lightning to make the playoffs was minus 400, which is an implied probability of 80%. Yeah, and that's that was, crazy. The that's just there, insane. Yeah. So, like, just betting on the top teams to make the playoffs is really good value betting on some of the bad teams to miss the playoffs i think edmonton was like minus 200 or something silly like that yeah i i get your arguments about the panthers i still like them uh not make the playoffs Mm -hmm. plus 180 that's a great bet like that's i mean just you're just betting on uh you're betting on the odds that's that's what it is it's not about betting teams like if you think in my right mind i want to bet on minnesota i want to confirm that i do not but it's just (laughs) The value's there. The value's there. And that's what, that's the biggest thing about betting is you don't bet teams, you bet value. I like it. That's well said. Yeah. Let's, uh, okay, let's power through some player, player props here. I'm going to give you some, let's go through all the major awards and um, you tell me if there's anyone you like. Let's do the Vesna first. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, betting on goaltending. Yeah. uh, Betting on all these awards, I should say, beyond like Art Ross and, and Rocket Richard, which are clearly like merit based because they're literally who mm-hmm. has the most, or, mm-hmm. or sorry, um, yeah, who has the most goals and who has the most points. Like, yeah. that's it's not leaving it up to voter bias. For a lot of these awards, though, you're basically betting on like who's going to be the best story. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes awards betting tricky because yeah. it might not be the best, most deserving player. So it's kind of tough getting crawling into the headspace for a lot of the voters um especially with the vesna where it's the gms and mm-hmm. john gibson has never finished inside the top seven um <laughs> so who knows anderson plus 550 i'm just worried about uh his bit like i think he's great i think he's deserving in terms of his actual impact on the leafs and if you believe that the leafs are going to be win the uh atlantic finally and kind of leapfrog the lightning as the case i was making early on then you should be getting in on that because that would make for a good story. But I just worry, like, if he winds up with, like, a 918 save percentage, which he does every single season, um, 
whether that's going to be enough to win that in voters' minds. Well, if he gets 40 wins, I don't that's think it will matter to the voters that run this league. Flurry at plus 1,100? I think the issue Just, there... If you think Vegas is going to be the best team. If you think Vegas will be the best team, yeah, I think the issue might be games played because yeah. I think they want to limit his starts. But then again, we saw Bishop and Laner get nominated last year, which was a bit surprising. Uh, yeah, price twelve plus twelve hundred, just based on the argument uh, that he was price. so good in the second half. Yeah. He's carry price, and I think if the Habs do make the playoffs, I think there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a groundswell because he'll be so responsible for it, but also mm-hmm. because the media loves carry price. Yeah. I feel like the interesting ones would be teams that you don't think would make the playoffs, and if they do, on the basis of a strong goaltending season, they might be a great bet. It, like Gibson and mm-hmm. I'm like yeah. he could be the guy that carries them and I don't know what his odds are but they're not I mean yeah they're gonna be a good value if you think there's a chance which yeah. which we've kind of laid out the case for uh Denoris I I like John Klingberg this year especially if there's this hype around Dallas and he was injured a bit last year the year before I personally think he was the best defenseman in the league and if Dallas keeps being this defensive team, he might start earning the reputation he deserves as a strong two-way defender. So that's that's my choice for this year. Yeah, Klingberg and Yossi at plus fourteen hundred seem like those good are bets. those are good. Especially yeah. Yossi, like the storyline of like Subban's gone, he's gonna have more responsibility. It's like his it's turn. his team now. It's his turn. It's his turn. He has People love right? watching him. Like he could put up 65, 70 points mm-hmm. or whatever and be right there. So I'm with that. Um, I like who else? Like, who else has a turn that hasn't come up yet? I think Yossi's there. Morgan Riley. There. It's not his turn yet. His turn you know, will come in two or three years, maybe. But if he carries Cody Cece, he might deserve it. I don't think he's going to have the statistical resume for it because I just don't see the offensive upside to warrant it. But uh, Petrangelo, like, come on! Mm-hmm. After after the postseason he had, the fact that Pryko's eating up all the toughest defensive minutes now uh like uh, petrangelo is the guy in terms of like it's his turn let's get him one before he (laughs) retires so if you're gonna go with a legacy pick that would be an interesting one calder um i was interested in mccarr at plus 500 and quinn hughes at plus 2000 and then i noticed that there's been four defensemen to win the award since i was born uh ekblad in 2015 myers in 2010 barrett jackman in 2003 and brian berard in 97 Mm -hmm. so uh historically uh you really have to have uh, things kind of go your way to win it if you're a defenseman. It seems like if you're a guy like Hughes or Kako and you put up 30 goals or 60 points, you're probably going to take this award. I think I would take Makar, especially at those odds, this year because Hughes would be my next pick and he's starting on the second line, second power play. And he can obviously play into a bigger role, but the fact that Makar is already there on power play one with McKinnon, with Rantan, yeah. with Landis Cog, with Kadri now too. Like, it would not be surprised to see him explode in his rookie season and put up 50 points himself. So I think the hype was there last yeah, playoffs. For sure. The story is there with Barry leaving. I, I like his chances. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, the Jack Adams. I like Vigneault at plus 2,800. Mm-hmm. I just made the case of like if the Flyers make the play, like yeah, the coach that, that the, the, the case. coach that wins this is the team makes the playoffs after not having made it the year before. That's is, like the the Stone Cold lock. Is Boudreaux on the board? I didn't see him on this, or, or I, I I didn't have him. But yeah, if you, if you like him there, I mean, I mean, if you're you, in if on, he's not on the board, his odds have to be like insane, right? And if you think that the Wild will be in the mix when everyone thinks they're going to be terrible, 
it just feels like the value is there because we know Boudreaux is a great coach. And even if they sneak in as the eighth seed, they're like, oh, my God, the Wild. Yeah. They made the playoffs. And I feel like that is a more reasonable chance than people give the team credit for. Dallas Aikens as well, similar to what you were saying about Gibson and yeah, if the Ducks yeah. make it. Um, and he's a new coach as well. Yeah. And people love new coaches. And, like, there's going to be there's gonna be so many stories written about his work with these young guys, how this has been mm-hmm. brewing since their San Diego days. So that's an interesting one. I mean, I, st- I, I even like, like, uh, Jim Montgomery and, and Rod Brindamore, both plus 1,800, if you believe that the Stars mm-hmm. and the Canes are going to have awesome seasons. Like, they yeah. made the playoffs last year, but... But if they win the division, exactly. like we think yeah. they, if they, they might. If they just explode. So um, GM of the year was really funny to me because <laughs> Dale Talon is the favorite, which is so outrageous because... Well, he spent the most money, right? I mean, when you can spend $100 million on Bobrovsky, Strawman, and Brett Connolly, um, that right there cements you as the mastermind behind uh, this operation. GM, GM of the year is uh, after the second round they vote, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, basically just got to go with who you think the top four teams are and which teams might have like cap flexibility to make a deal at the deadline well the most outrageous thing is kelly mccrimmon is on this list at plus 1500 and i think vegas is going to be great Mm -hmm. but he didn't build his team Mm -hmm. so that's that's like he doesn't really have space to put them over the top of the deadline exactly so like if they if he doesn't do anything let's say during the season monumental let's say they had a seventh seventh defenseman or something and Vegas still wins the wins the West. Are people gonna give him like I know he's been there and he's been George mm-hmm. McPhee's right hand man, but it seems weird that we're kind of just giving all of that credit to him. I, I, I yeah. don't know about that. I guess you know Joe Sakic, uh, plus eight eight hundred isn't aren't great odds. I think he's next after Talon, but um, just based on the Colorado hype and the fact that like a lot of these teams that added a lot of guys, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what you're looking at. That's what kind of the story writes itself is uh eric chelsky there for the carolina hurricane he should be <laughs> he should be um all right uh let's do the, the the three main ones then the art ross the rocket richard and the heart man the art ross mcdavid's over under is 116 and a half and he had 116 last year uh that's like i think that's a really really high total at the same time i would not want to be betting on the uh low side of that that is uh that is probably his range which yeah. is frightening because he doesn't play with he probably won't play with anyone good and he might still get there um do you think there's any chance that uh anyone uh takes the rocket richard from ovi yes uh i like austin matthews to do that this year because i think he's gonna get more minutes than he usually does and he has the same goals for 60 as ovi in the last couple years and if the leafs power play improves like some people think it might if he has Nylander on his side, I think this is the year that Ovi is usurped. Yeah, it seems it's it's tough to once the season gets going. If you if you're betting against Ovi and then he's leading mm-hmm. the league again, you're gonna wind up feeling like an idiot. But Matthews at plus six fifty. Uh, I like Line A at plus twelve hundred. It seems like the hate's gone a bit too far. I think he's mm-hmm. got a lot to prove. And Pasternak plus twenty five hundred. Pasternak at plus twenty five hundred feels like a really good. Uh, value bet yeah like i'm not sure if he's gonna score 50 goals but based on that power play and who he plays with i feel like it's within within the reasonable range of outcomes for him i think he last year his goals for sticking on the power play was the second or third most since 2007 yeah no he's a beast he's, and he's he shoots real. a ton and uh so i like that bet as a bit of a long long shot and for the heart i like uh i like matthews at plus 950 and mckinnon at plus thousand and sebastian aho I, I couldn't even find him on the board but i imagine mm-hmm. you can get him for for some tasty odds as well yeah um, yeah, I like Matthews this year. I think 
I think he's going to show a lot just from people saying, seeing his efficiency like translate into bigger minutes. Because the fact that he's played under 19 minutes his entire career, I think really deters from how people perceive his value. Like we see how revered McKinnon is, but I think a lot of that is him playing 22 minutes a night. And it'd be, I don't think it'd be a stretch for Matthews to hit those same totals if he got those same minutes. Yeah. I guess the only, uh, yeah, he's, I think for him, like the Leafs would either need to, uh, finish first in the Atlantic or he just have to have insane goal, insane goal totals because there's so much, uh, around him in terms of Marner and Tavares mm-hmm. and, and other players who will be putting up high point totals that I feel like for that award, like we typically look at like the guy who's carrying his offense the most and it might be tougher to do for him, do for him just based on his surroundings, not yeah. as a fault of his own. Whereas yeah. for McKinnon, like he's going to need to be their best player by a significant margin for them to reach their, uh, mm-hmm. reach their ceiling. Um, all right, Dom, plug some stuff. What, uh, where can people check out your work and, uh, what are, what are you up to now? Uh, right now, I'm taking a much-deserved break <laughs> after writing 31 season previews over the last month. It basically is a analytical deep dive on literally every single team, more info than you could ever possibly need. And if you want to be educated on teams that aren't the ones you normally follow, I feel like it is probably one of the best resources around. And Usually I would be humble, but I spent a lot of time on this, so I'm not going to be humble this time. Well, it was great work, man. I really enjoyed reading it and following it, and, and it's uh, it was quite an undertaking that you mm-hmm. completed. So you enjoy you you enjoy your time off here a little bit. Everyone out there listening, enjoy the uh, the games finally starting. Yeah. Um, hopefully you've done all your prep work. Hopefully we uh, helped you uh, make some bets or win some pools here today. And um, yeah, man, this was a blast. I'm I'm glad we got to do this. I'm glad we got to do this in this uh, swanky studio. And uh, we'll see you next time I have you on. Might be in an Airbnb. Might be back here. We'll see. But I'm sure it'll be a nice place. Yeah, uh, I have no doubt about you putting me in a nice digs. <laughs> Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.